Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories, and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today's letter is M, and M is for Mrs. Robinson. Many of you may remember that Mrs. Robinson was the older woman in the film The Graduate who seduced the younger man. She was the consummate cougar. Today, my guest is Susanna Matthews also known as The Date Maven. She's written a new book called Revising Mrs. Robinson. It's an exploration of social and personal responses to romantic relationships between older women and younger men. Revising Mrs. Robinson uses the critical lenses of ageism and sexism to examine this phenomenon and applies social science research and the stories of women interviewed across the United States. The book provides perspective, insight, and guidance for women who are trying to manage the unique challenges presented in Cooper Cub in a Cougar Cub relationship. Cross-generational relationships aren't just a Hollywood topic or in the exclusive territory of the likes of Jennifer Lopez or Kris Jenner and their younger male partners, or reference points for TV shows like Younger and Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, or pop songs like MILF by Fergie. They're a growing phenomenon in society. Older men have courted younger women for centuries with little stigma or self-doubt, but this isn't always the case when a middle-aged man, but sorry, when a middle-aged woman is involved with a younger man. With 2017 being the 50th anniversary of Mike Nichols' film The Graduate, which introduced us to the original cougar, Mrs. Robinson, the time is right to open up the conversation on this unique dating and relationship phenomenon. Welcome to the show, Susanna. Thank you, Dr. Lori Beth. I appreciate you having me. So let's start with that kind of original relationship. I mean, for those of us who are in who are in their 40s and 50s and above, many of us, that movie was formative. And Absolutely. And a lot of people are saying, wow, has it really been that long? It doesn't seem possible. I mean, it's quite frightening, actually. <laughs> so, um, so what... How do you think the landscape has changed from then until now? Well, you know, it was interesting at that time, Anne Bancroft, who was cast in the role of Mrs. Robinson, was not significantly older than Dustin Hoffman. She was only seven years his elder. But of course, by Hollywood standards, that was a tremendous age gap at that time. Hollywood still seems to have some... Uh, 
standards where you, see, you more commonly see older men cast as romantic leads across mm -hmm. from younger women, but we don't see the opposite of that happening unless it's a punchline in a comedy. Mm -hmm. Although I think more and more there is a growing comfort level with that age gap relationship, the older woman to younger man. And, and I'm so happy that you are opening up the conversation about it. Thank you. Um, I, I find this an interesting one. Um, I'm, I've been married three times. My okay. first marriage was to a man 12 years my senior. Okay. My second man marriage was to a man 12 years my junior. All right. And my current one, he's uh, five and a half years older than I am. Um, and I think when I married my second husband, I was 35 and he was 23. Um, well, that's when we got together. We got married a year and a half later. And the amount of shock amongst colleagues, amongst peers, amongst family was beyond belief. I wonder how common my experience is. Yeah, so so yeah, you experienced firsthand um, maybe some pushback and, and probably some questioning at least. So from the women who I talked to, there were sort of two categories of doubt, self-doubt and other doubt. So the self-doubt being sort of the internal monologue that we women have with ourselves, mm -hmm. the messages or the scripts we run in our own minds that say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What, 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 surely he doesn't really want you or what could he possibly want from you? And then those are kind of reinforced by then the external comments mm -hmm. from co-workers, from maybe one's adult children, siblings, friends, who are either saying things like, oh, you go off and have your fun. You, you play with your plaything. So they're kind of trivializing the relationship, mm -hmm. assuming that it's merely a sexual one and a temporary one, or saying things like, have you lost your freaking mind? <laughs> and I heard from women who had experienced all of the above. What's interesting to me is I think, and I wonder if my perception is correct, that there are two different types of kind of cougar cub relationships in terms of age groups is that there are some like me who was, who was in the younger age group. I was 35 when we met, I had no children and I wanted a child. Mm -hmm. And so that was a different place in terms of forming a relationship with a younger man sure. versus women who are as in their, in their forties with grown children or in their fifties mm -hmm. and they've already had their children and they're now forming a relationship where the idea of having children together isn't even on the table. Right. Right. And, and did you find that there were some differences like that? Absolutely. And that's a topic to be discussed early on in the romantic relationship because it can absolutely be a game ender. And I did talk to one gentleman in particular whose story really broke my heart because he had been involved with an older woman who we met through the workplace. There wasn't really any conscious thought on his part about, I want to date an older woman. It was just something that the attraction was natural and it happened. And she was the one who was 
resistant of the idea of a relationship, not only because he was a co-worker, but he was significantly younger. And they were involved for quite a while and very happy, but ultimately they did go their separate ways because she no longer wanted kids or could have kids. And he did want the whole wife and family and that whole package. So it was very sad. Um, they didn't regret their time together, they reported to me. But had they been closer in age or circumstances had been different, they probably would have stayed together. Mm -hmm. Now, a, a lot of the cultural response, the pushback, uh, actually fell more into the category of just people's preconceived notions about what the relationship purpose was or what its function was. There's this big word called or, or big term called female hypergamy, which I found in the social science books. You might be familiar with that. It's a great term. It, it is. And it, it has to do with the sort of unspoken expectation that women are still permitted or encouraged to date up socioeconomically, mm -hmm. but in no way permitted or encouraged to date down socioeconomically. And in an age gap relationship where like in your situation, he's in his 20s and she's in her 30s, chances are he's either going to be in college or have just have completed college, beginning his work career. His income earning is not as high as hers. She's more established in her career and her profession. And so that that concept of female hypergamy is at work. Most people just don't know what it is to call it out, call it by its name and say, how are we going to deal with this? That's an interesting one um, because I think that that may be there even when there isn't an age gap, but in age gap relationships, you have a much higher possibility of seeing it really clearly. How often do you find that, that it's not just the people outside that have a problem with that, but the men themselves have a difficulty? with the fact that, that the women are the ones who have the earning potential and who are keeping them, as it were, because we talk about men keeping women, so we're keeping them. Yeah. Surprisingly, these younger men, these millennial men, seem to be more comfortable. We always think of men as fulfilling that protector-provider role. And there are certainly still some millennial men who kind of feel that impulse or feel that urge. But one thing I noticed about this younger age group of men is they also tend to have maybe less shame or just kind of more reasonable expectations for themselves. They're more comfortable saying, hey, I'm still finding myself or I'm not really sure what I want to be when I grow up or you hear the word Peter Pan syndrome bounced around a lot. That can be a little bit of a problem in the relationship. But millennial men seem to be giving themselves a little more permission to kind of take their time in finding their way. Now, whether or not their older female counterpart is okay with that is a whole different subject. What kind of um, um, longevity have you found in the relationships that you explored? Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I did find that for many couples, this type of relationship was a palate cleanser or a transitional relationship that a lot of times the women entered into after a breakup or a divorce. How long does a palate cleanser last? <laughs> Well, I suppose it could be anywhere from a few nights to a few weeks to a few months. Some started out with the expectation that it would be a palate cleanser, but then feelings developed and the relationship persisted. Did you did you find that the that, that so more of the people it was a palate cleanser than it was an actual long term choice? I don't know. 
that I that I have actual numbers to reply to that with. Um, it, it it seemed that the ones that did grow into a longer term relationship, they were as surprised by that as anyone. Right. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't a plan. It just happened. Right. Right. One woman I spoke to in particular, and and I her interview stands out to me because. Uh, she had a PhD in English, and, and she was in a, an environment where she was interacting with a lot of younger men frequently. And so she had frequently dated younger men after they had gone through her class, and and, and it was more appropriate. Um, but her comment was, "I had no expectation of them," and she sort of felt a freedom and a liberation at going into these relationships with just completely blank slate, no expectations in terms of a shelf life or in terms of what each of them would contribute. And it was really empowering for her. That's interesting. So because we, when we look at, you know, the kind of May-December sort of thing, um, which we all, of course, all have perceptions about, um, there are some expectations that people often go into that relationship with. True. So what do you think are the kinds of things that in this sort of cougar cub situation, people are going into the relationship with, with what's the set of values that comes with that rather than what's being put on them from outside. Well, since this show is about sex, let's go ahead and go there. Go there. <laughs> First and foremost. So I think that the expectation that most outsiders have and is actually probably for the most part a true and correct expectation is that the sex is phenomenal in these pairings. And not a single woman who I interviewed complained about the sex. And in some cases, these middle-aged women had been in relationships with either a same-aged or older companion before. And, you know, at a certain age in life, sometimes health and stamina and stress and all kinds of different issues affect us in the bedroom. And so a lot of these women were like, yippee and hallelujah. You know, they were really grateful and gleeful to have a partner who was just able to go for the sprint, <laughs> sexually yep. speaking. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, that was not my experience long term, but I know a lot of women whose experience it was. That was yeah. more. It was a combat. It was compat basic compatibility issue, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it it wasn't about energy, right? <laughs> Stamina. It was a basic compatibility issue, which it's, it's one of the things I advise people to try and sort out before you go to bed with somebody. Actually, talk before getting into bed. Very good idea. Yeah, <laughs> radical idea, Lori Beth, but well, good advice. <laughs> I have to tell you something. You know, I, I was talking to somebody about this earlier today, and I think heterosexual folks don't talk before they get into bed a lot of times. Mm. They meet, there's sparks, there's energy, there's a quick, if they're, if they're um, concerned or ethical, there's a quick talk about STDs, mm -hmm. condom or not, and mm -hmm. then off they go. Whereas people in alternative communities, so LGBT and kink community, polyamorous community, because they're, it's harder to make a matchup. And mm -hmm. I, I'm just, I think, I think straight gay folk, not necessarily true. I mean, there's a lot of anonymous sex that goes on, but the conversations tend to happen before bed more often. Mm -hmm. I think they're not taking it for granted as much. Yeah. Do you think that's it? I think that's it. I also think that if I have a particular kink and I want to know, I want, I want to meet somebody who shares that, I have mm -hmm. to talk to find that out. 
Right. If I and look right. at somebody and they're attractive and the energy is good, if I just want to do something vanilla, I don't have to find out if they're into that. I mean, that's what that's what the thinking is. It's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have, <laughs> but you do have a better chance, I guess, if you don't have any un, uh, unusual, um, which I is, I think is funny because they're not so unusual. But any desires that are outside the norm, you do have a better chance of not having a conversation and still having a good sexual experience. I um, think that's fair to say. Yeah. You know, women have kind of always had to be the, the responsible party, uh, the standard bearers, if you will, because we bear the weight of our sexual decisions a yes. little more fully than men do. And so I think sometimes younger men who are entering into these situations may forget just how much responsibility his middle-aged companion might feel. She feels responsible not only for her sexual health, but for how am I going to feel the next morning? Am I going to be sick to my stomach the morning after because this is a regretful thing I did? I'm going to have to maybe go home and face my children. Am I being a good role model for them? Uh, how about my role in the community? My standing as a, a businesswoman or whatever the professional reputation is. So she has a lot on the line and potentially a lot more at risk in having a relationship with the younger man, whether it's just a sexual fling or a long-term romance. I, I mean, I think I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think if we think about when you're in your twenties, when you're younger and you're, and you're having maybe less considered relationships and, and hopefully, you know, kind of sowing wild oats and having some good sex and, and not thinking as much about all the kind of cares of the world before you enter into the relationship. Um, I think we forget that as people get older, that the baggage comes with it and all those responsibility comes with it. And maybe part of what women are enjoying when they're getting together with younger men is a, is a return to some of that, not all of it, but some of it, some of that yeah. joy that, that was there originally, only now they know themselves better. Right. So they have a right. better chance of having a good sexual experience because they actually know what they're doing. It's, it is the best of both worlds. On the one hand, she has the opportunity to sort of recapture that feeling of youth and that vibrancy and that, that sort of devil-may-care attitude. And at the same time, as you said, she knows who she is and what she wants, and she's not shy about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, a, that's such a huge difference from where most women start out. I mean, we're certain, sure. even now, even the youngsters now are not being taught to ask for what they want. They want girls are still not seeing themselves as um, able to go for their desire and express their desire. They're still looking in service to the men that they they hook up with. I mean, it's all about how they look, how they appear. And if they give the guy a good time still and still not about did you have fun? Right, right. I, I like to say people are often dating out of ego, not out of spirit. And yep. if you can connect with someone from a place of spirit rather than ego, it's just a richer, higher quality interaction. Yeah. One thing that kind of surprised me in my research, I, I, I really didn't expect to uh, be able to weave this in, was how much sort of our wiring in our brain is still very antiquated, if I may say that. So mm -hmm. I, I got into some neuroscience and found that a lot of our expectations of ourselves and our sexual behavior and our choices around that and our, and our thinking about 
whether or not this is or isn't an appropriate pairing, it, it kind of has to do with our old brain, not our new brain. So maybe the bias of, hey, a, a young guy should be mating with a young female, uh, that may have served our caveman and cavewoman ancestors really well, because um, that was the most evolutionarily advantageous mm -hmm. pairing. So those attraction cues of bright skin, bright eyes, full breasts, rounded hips, young skin, you know, all of those cues are what culturally we've come to prize and to value because that means our species goes on. Right. But we no longer live at a time where there's a threat that the human race is going to become extinct. So maybe we could kind of lay down that caveman and cavewoman lens that says, oh, this 25-year-old guy should not be with this 45-year-old woman. That's interesting. That's yeah. I mean, what, I, I wonder how much we also carry that, not just what other people are seeing, but that, right. that that's where some of the self-doubt comes in. I, I really believe it does. It's kind of like a, a knee-jerk reaction from within. And, and that's really what led me down this path. There was a period where I was single. I had noticed I was the subject of a lot of younger male attention. And I went, what's up with that? I don't get that. Why is that happening? And then I kind of stepped aside and said to myself, why are you so surprised? Yeah. Why Why are you questioning that about yours? Why do you feel not deserving or worthy of that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's I think it's fascinating that the whole idea that once we get past a certain point, you know, there's all those that, you know, she, she's on the shelf, she, she's over the hill, but all of that has to do comes from procreation. That's yes. what that comes from. It comes from procreation and the drive for procreation. And we're living far beyond that now. Yes. That, that fear part of our brain just hasn't quite gotten the memo yet. Um, what One of the other uh, sort of side effects that I found with a lot of women dating younger men, and it's related to that, was uh, some of them confessed to me, well, I started to look at myself in the mirror a little more closely, or I started spending a little more time just under the magnifying glass and hyperanalyzing every little crevice or wrinkle or micro wrinkle on my face, it, it really brought uh, almost undue attention to their own aging process or a hyper awareness of the ways in which their bodies were changing. Some women were able to embrace it and say, I look fantastic and let's do this. And other women were kind of slowed down a little bit by, I don't look the way I used to. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and still, no matter what, no matter that young men are showing attention, Mm -hmm. No matter, I remember experience not too long ago of walking down the street past a group of young men and there was whistling going on. Mm -hmm. And I did not turn around until somebody said, hey, beautiful, why, why are you being so rude? And I oh. was like, oh, and I turned around and I smiled. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were whistling at me. And they're like, well, who else is walking down the street? And it was, you know, and, and I was quite shocked because these were young guys Ah. And I thought, wow, okay. Um, I mean, they were less than half my age. Yeah. And I, and I thought, wow, okay, all right. And, and I didn't. I mean, what I didn't do was rubbish them and 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 treat them badly. I mean, I thanked them and I was appreciative, and then I walked on with a little bit more swing in my step um, <laughs> because you know when I when I thought about it, I was like, well, actually, that's kind of cool. But yeah. the, but the expectation is that that's not going to happen. That's right. not appropriate. And so the automatic response is, oh, they're, they're, 
they're making fun of me or, or they're being right. obnoxious or because how could it be that they see this? They mean sexually desirable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we're, when we're in our twenties, our radar is kind of out for that and our antenna are up for that. And, and when we get the whistles and the cat calls, you know, we, we might even, they, they might even be so frequent. We, we can be, um, you know, put off or yeah, how dare you? Yeah, you are. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then we do kind of maybe tune into a different frequency where we just assume that's not for me. Yep. I mean, we just and I think and I I mean I think you know in my in my thirties, no, I mean I I didn't think that there wasn't any of that. Um, and I in part because I wasn't aware of any signs of aging physically in my face at all. I still looked incredibly young. Um, and it's only recently I'm in my, in my fifties now I'm 53 now. And it's only recently that I've started having little changes. And comparatively, I know by looking at other women that these are little changes, but boy, am I aware of them, right? (laughs) Well, yes. Well, welcome to aging in America. It's not exactly, I mean, on one hand we pretend to celebrate it, but do we really? So, so that's interesting. So do women who get in these relationships have to be gutsy and daring in order to do that? Do you think? I think so. I, I think it takes some some presence and some courage. Um, uh, she may have to make the decision about whether or not she is going to age naturally, mm-hmm. or whether or not she is going to really invest in diet and exercise and plastic surgery and injections and you know all the different. Uh, procedures and and medical uh, offerings that are available to sort of stave that off. That's a decision she'll have to make. And you can actually, in in, in fact, stave it off for an awfully long time. If you've got good genetics, you can put it off incredibly long time. Right, right. Good genetics in a deep pocketbook. Yeah, that that too. I mean, I think, I think, you know, women laugh about maintenance. Younger women don't understand what that means, right? Right. It's like, what do you want to do? Oh, I'm going for a spa day for relaxation. I said, no, when you're in your 50s, it's not relaxation. You go for maintenance. <laughs> it's maintenance. <laughs> it's lube oil and filter time. Yeah. Well, you know, there's chronological age and there's biological age, right? So regardless of your gender or your age, um, you can have a biological age that is significantly older or younger than your real age, meaning how many years you've been mm-hmm. on this earth. If you've taken care of yourself, you followed a good diet, good exercise, you could be 55 and look 45. At the same time, if you've kind of trashed your body and you had a lot of stress and a lot of bad habits, you could be 45 and look 55. So when people talk about age appropriateness, I always try to kind of throw in that word. Are we talking biological age or chronological age? Because there's that saying about how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? Exactly. But then also to me, one of the things that I find interesting about this, um, which is my experience with clients who have left these relationships and um, also similar to my personal experience is that one thing that is different about having a relationship where you're older and somebody's significantly younger. So we're, you know, we're not talking a few, five, even under 10 years difference, probably not is that you have different reference points culturally mm-hmm. and within time from of major events. Um, and I live in the United Kingdom. And so that's the same when you do cross-cultural, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when you're younger, that doesn't matter so much. It, it may not be so bothering. 
But when you've, you've observed a longer passage of time, I think for some people it actually becomes more of an issue. Mm -hmm. Like you yeah. know, the joke is told in the room about some television show from the seventies, the early seventies, yeah. and your partner's sitting there looking blank and you're in history. Didn't get it. Right. Yeah. Some cultural reference is made and it just goes right over their head. And I know that in the moment that can feel uncomfortable and, and, and women would report to me that they kind of wished that they could share the joke with their partner. Uh, it seemed like it was the older women who were missing out on that moment of connection mm -hmm. more than the younger men. But here's the thing. Yes, it's great to say like, oh, hey, we listened to all the same bands growing up or we wore the same silly fashions. And can you believe we looked that way? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. We can bond over that. But ultimately, that doesn't really tell us a lot about what our values are and what our lifestyle is. And that's where compatibility lies. If we have the possibility to have a long, healthy, happy relationship, we need to look at values and lifestyle, not just did you listen to Def Leppard? I listened to Def Leppard. Did you wear flannel? I wear flannel. I agree with you, but I also think that sometimes some of those things actually reflect some deeper values. So you okay. like talk to people about being part of the Vietnam generation and what it was like in the peace movement and compared that to what goes on now. And there are actually, you know, there are similarities in movements, so you can find that place to make those connections. But you yeah. actually have to work a bit harder. And that sometimes what people are doing is using that stuff as a shorthand. Sure. You know, sure. so I can, I can say something and my now husband can finish my sentence because mm -hmm. we were both brought up in America within six years of each other. And although we mm -hmm. come from quite different cultural groups, the major events are very similar. Um, that makes sense. Uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that these aren't necessarily people aren't going into these relationships as a long-term option. And yet somehow there, some of them are finding themselves in these relationships that are now long-term. How do they make that transition? You know, I, I'm not sure that there's any real moment of truth or light bulb moment or, or event that's a, a tipping point for it. Um, you know, sometimes it, they just manage to weather kind of all of the slings and arrows from the outside long enough. And I, I think they have enough invested mentally and emotionally and, and sexually as well that, that there's just sort of a the, the ball keeps on rolling. Do you think that from a sexual point of view, it's not only the, the kind of the energy and and the ability to stay without medication? Um, <laughs> Which comes with being with somebody who's younger. I mean, that's, you know, that is a reality. More, more, the older you are, the more likely you are to have an erectile dysfunction. So, you know, do you think that, that it's not just that ability to stay, but is it also things like um, a wider viewpoint, the ability to be more, to experiment more, um, a, a more relaxed view about sex, perhaps? Yeah, it seems like millennials have a little, they're, they're more able to embrace sexual fluidity, understanding yeah. that sexuality kind of occurs on this continuum, right? So we're not all, all or nothing usually when it comes to our sexuality. One, one of my favorite uh, books that I got into for this, are you familiar with Jesse Baring's research, Perv? Uh, yes. <laughs> it, 
he, you know, he, he explores what we would consider to be perversions, most of which are only called that because somehow there's a cultural agreement about this is right or wrong or acceptable or unacceptable. And it seems that millennials are willing to kind of open those assumptions up and challenge those and, and be more contrarian in their thinking. I have to say, I found myself, um, I was put on a um, perv list um, in a positive, it, it's a positive thing, they think, they uh -huh. say. I'm actually quite pleased with it. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, you know, it's like another perv, you know, like here's a perv <laughs> who, who does stuff on the internet that you can, you can see. And I was laughing my ass off. I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. I mean, so for me, that wasn't a problem. But certainly I think people, there is really less stricture with the younger folk mm -hmm. there. I mean, although people that um, I was looking at, at Peggy Orenstein's research was quite frightening mm -hmm. actually. Um, and, and young girls, although the, people are not learning at sex and sexuality in the way that they should, the conversations aren't happening in the way that they should. There's still trouble talking about sex. There's still trouble educating kids about sex. There is a much wider viewpoint of what's acceptable. So as you say, there is more fluidity. There is the understanding that as a rule, most people are not entirely heterosexual or entirely homosexual or entirely stuck in the middle as bisexual, but they actually move a certain amount throughout their lifespan. Um, and so I would think that that would be a positive that somebody, that an older woman looking to reinvigorate her sex life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there, that is the upside. There, there is also potentially a small downside, and that is that this younger generation uh, has more comfort with um, publicity, social media, yeah. and sort of being uh, open and exposed with their sexuality. Um, dick pics were not always a welcome gift for a lot of the middle-aged women that I've that I've spoken to over the years. But that might be a younger man's way of saying, "Hey, I'm into you." So, so that's where communication again is just absolutely so key. Uh, you might have a middle-aged woman who gets a dick pic and says. Heck no, I, you know, lose my number. Um, that's completely inappropriate. What were you thinking? How do I get this off my phone? You know, this is not the way to woo me. Yeah. And maybe for that younger guy, well, that worked great with a 22 year old. Why is it not working with the 42 year old? Right. Um, so that's that, something to do. <laughs> that, that's an education issue, right? <laughs> you know? Right. What do you Or making, making assumptions, him making assumptions about what's seductive for a female and for a middle-aged female. I'd be interested. Is there a difference between your 20 to 20, you know, 20 to 30 year olds and mm -hmm. you're slightly over 30 with, cause with still a 20 year age gap in terms mm -hmm. of those sorts of errors and mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there is. I, I would, I would guess so. And I really didn't, you know, break down, um, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I just kind of drew a line and, you know, okay, the women are on this side and, and the men are over here on this side. But, you know, certainly the way that we use technology is different from generation to generation. And so I, I saw some misfires or missteps where he thought, hey, let's set this date up by text message. And she was saying, oh, if you want to go out with me, you should call me or you should 
give me the courtesy of a couple days notice instead of a couple hours notice. And, you know, young people kind of make their plans spur the moment. Like, what are you doing in five minutes? So, so there was some disconnect there, but that's not something that can't be bridged. It just needs to be talked about. Well, yeah, because of course, in, 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 at least in, in my generation, if somebody called you with a couple of hours notice, that was a booty call. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that wasn't a date. That was a booty call. And if, if you don't mind having a booty call, that's cool. But if you were hoping to have a date, that's insulting, right? You know, right. Your phone right. rings at midnight. It's a booty call. It's not, you know. <laughs> and I know, and I know that it's different with the younger generations. Um, mm-hmm. What What do you think were are the most positive things to come out of these relationships? Well, uh, you know, I, I think just the opportunity to experience joy and happiness, regardless of age, regardless of what part of the country or the world you live in, anytime you have the opportunity to sort of step outside your sandbox <laughs> and play in a different way, I think that's a good thing. Even if there's a little pain involved, Lori Beth, even if there's a little, uh, you know, there is really no growth without pain. That's true. And so, um, you know, for any woman who's thinking about this kind of relationship or is in it and she's maybe waffling, like, I'm not really sure if I should stay or should I go. Um, you know, people like you and I, we, that's the stuff we love to wrestle with. We love to kind of wrestle with the gray areas and the ambiguity and the and the whys behind things. So, so don't just flee. Don't just get into that fight or flight mode because you're uncomfortable, but really take time to sort of lean into the discomfort. Yeah. I mean, I think the gray areas and the edges are where the most fun in life happens. So so. that's definitely, I definitely think that is the place to be. So if people want to find you, where are they going to find you? Well, my website, thedatemaven.com, is a great way to connect. You can sign up for my free blog feed. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn, if you're inclined to social media. And then there's a Facebook page and a website for my book as well, Revising Mrs. Robinson. And I assume Amazon and all the usual outlets for the book? Yes, Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And if you happen to be in the Midwest region of the United States, I do book signings from time to time. So social media is a great way to stay in the loop about when those are happening. Um, And is there anything else you want people to know about what you're doing and what you would like to promote at the moment? Sure. Well, thank you. Uh, You know, I I do think that probably some follow-up research is due. And since this book really was written for a female audience, I want the next project to be tailored towards the men. Now, men don't usually read self-help books, but I'm thinking maybe a video or some kind of a ebook or a series. And so I'd love to hear from men. If you're a younger man who has been in this kind of relationship or are currently, and you'd be willing to share your story with me, I can use your first name only, or I can change your name and protect your anonymity. But I'd love to hear from the guys about their experiences in these age gap relationships. That would be brilliant. So I hope people will get in touch. Um, And I'm looking forward to not only being able to delve deeper into the book, but seeing what the next project is. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So thank you very much for joining me. Um, And thank you all who are listening for joining me this week for the A to Z of Sex. Please write in with any questions to Dr. Lori Beth at A to Z of Sex dot com. That's A T O Z O F S E X dot com. And visit both websites, which is the 
the A to Z of sex dot A to Z of sex dot com and www.the-intimacy-coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create the ideal lasting intimate relationship. For a free 30 minute session with me, head over to A to Z of sex.com and click on the button that says book now. I hope you will join me next week when we will be doing the letter N and N will be for naked. Thank you very much, Susanna. And thank you all for listening. Oh, my pleasure, Dr. Lori. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.